0: Welcome to Bold Becoming, Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for
1: tuning in. Hi, Patricia. Hi, how are you, Julie? I'm great. Good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you for
0: having me. Yeah. Today we have Patricia Loft. Is that how you say it? It is. Yes. Okay. And she, I asked her to come on to talk about her experience with a long-term experience with cancer that was over 20 years ago, right? Yes. Yes and how she made it through that journey. And now she helps other people. And of course, for my interview, for my podcast, we focus on sort of how it impacted your identity. You were going along with your life and then you find out you have cancer. And then a lot of times there's like some huge identity shift because you have this mortality motivation, I would imagine. And then you like become a different person because of your journey.
1: So that is the story that I would love for you to tell us today, Patricia. Well, I was, I was, um, I started to get sick when I was really young. And so nobody knew what it was. And it wasn't diagnosed until I was in my 20s. And then, and then the whole, um, journey really began because I was sick and I knew something was seriously wrong, but nobody knew what it was. Go ahead. Oh, I hate that. And isn't that
0: the worst thing? But um, so how what was really young and how did you know you were sick?
1: Um, I almost remember the day. Actually, I woke up one day and I had I was like 10 years old and I had bags under my eyes. It's the first time I had bags under my eyes. And then mm-hmm. after that, everybody asked me if I was tired. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm 10 years old. I don't know what's going on. And then slowly I started to have pain. Um, and, and, uh, and then I slowly started to get a little sicker. Like I would have, um, incidents of, um, severe illness like projectile vomiting and severe pain and whatnot. And then it would go away and I'd be playing soccer the next day. So it's no wonder that nobody oh, wow. knew <laughs> what was going yeah, on. Yeah, By the
0: time you get to the doctor, they can't, they can't right. find, it's like bring your car to the mechanic when it doesn't have the sound that it was making, like last night, I had a sound. I've never had it before. And then it started, and then it's not back. So it's like, no use taking it to the mechanic.
1: (laughs) Right. And you know, you're playing soccer. So how bad could it be? You know, so then, and then it just kept on gradually getting um, more severe, more often over the years. And then finally, they did a an exploratory surgery. This is how long ago it was. They did an exploratory surgery and found out that I had a massive tumor in my abdomen. And it was, it was massive. It was almost the size of me. (laughs) So, um, so they took that out and then, and then tumors just started growing back really rapidly after that. So I have them removed beyond, you know, the chemical intervention protocol have more removed chemical intervention this went on for years and it took a few years so what so
0: at what age were you when you finally had they figured out you had this tumor I was in my I, I can't remember wait, exactly wait, how old, but it, it blanked out and you're in your oh, what's 20s 20s yeah so uh, 10 years without knowing what's going on and that will do something for you because I went like actually I've gone my whole life adult life not with doctors not knowing why I have chronic pain (laughs) Ah, yeah and it's and it's really hard (laughs) on your identity when you 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 can't count on your body from one day to the next it sounds like yours was more sporadic mine is pretty constant and yeah you can't so what, what happened during those to your identity during those 10 years where they where you didn't know what was going on except for that I'm assuming you worried that when's the next time it's going to happen or something. I always had in my mind that it was never
1: going to happen again. And I was always wrong. (laughs) So so, uh, because I was an athlete, so I just thought, okay, my body's working today. Let's go at it. And that was, that was kind of the way I dealt with it. Uh, And then when it started to get more um, less intermittent and more uh, kind of chronic, I would say um, then I knew something was wrong. Uh, but nobody else, nobody else took it seriously. Um, so wait, wait, so what's that like when people don't take it seriously? Cause that's, oh, it's so lonely, you know, as a kid. Yeah. yeah it's, it's so lonely and you're taught that you're wrong when you know that you're right. And so then you stop then you stop talking about something that's, you know, kind of getting serious now because uh, nobody else Beliefs. I mean, I went to doctors who thought I needed a psychiatrist. I mean, that's what, was- yeah, that's
0: what they told me is like, you know, it's all in your head.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. So, think so. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, and that went on and you, and I felt like a failure too, because I couldn't get, like I was really just close to the top of my game athletically. And I really couldn't make that last uh, that last hump uh, because my body wasn't there i just couldn't i just couldn't push my body that far so at what what age was that around i would say 15 16 17 around there yeah yeah and so then so then we you know graduate into the 20s and something definitely is wrong and and you know they were trying to preserve as many body parts as they could by just removing the tumors and then it graduated into guess what we can't preserve your body parts anymore so stuff started to be removed out of the picture and, um,
0: because uh, the and then, cancer tumors has invaded the the body parts too much.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, so, so is this
0: considered metastasized at this oh, point? Oh yes,
1: yeah. It was. I think. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really remember details as many details from back then because it's like that's a whole other person. Talk about identity identity transformation. That's exactly what happened. It's like so far removed from who i am now i couldn't even see it with a microscope (laughs) that's how that's how drastic the change has been so so then i started to have all these surgeries and they would tell me oh this chemical intervention piece is gonna do it it'll be it Um, or this surgery now you won't have to worry about anything else so i'm really excited about being at the end of this you know massively painful journey and of course none of it was true but it took me a few years because you know i'm a I was a bit of a slow learner, that I wasn't going to find my answer in the halls of conventional medicine. And then I started to begin uh, researching, doing my own research. Um, and even then, I went down the wrong trail. I was researching disease. I wasn't researching disease Wellness. reversal. I was wasn't researching healing. I, was, I thought if I knew enough about this whole uh, disease process, I'd be able to figure out a way to not have it. Right. And, the, the cause. Right. No, I was I was researching the disease, the disease. Right. But if you,
0: if you research the cause, then you can have a way to reverse it.
1: That's that's what I thought. And I thought it would be found in the path of the disease, like the disease path. It's not because uh, I mean, you could go down that rabbit hole um, for eternity and you would still never find what it is that you need to know. And so uh, I, I kept on going. I kept on having surgery, kept on having chemicals. Wait, ins- wait, wait. So oh. just for the audience, because a
0: lot of people, I mean, that is what people they they Google the disease. So what is that rabbit hole and why isn't it that they're going to ever find what they're looking for?
1: Because even the onset of disease is the end. It's not the beginning, something else is at the beginning. So way before you get to the disease, uh, there's something happening. And I didn't find this out until later on, but I started at uh, the disease onset. Like, how does this, all, this whole process goes and it, you know, it's a deep rabbit hole and it's fascinating. Like I was a science geek. So I thought, yeah, let's, let's eat this up. Uh, but the answer is not found in the disease itself or even the onset of disease. It starts way before that. So I went down this, uh, uh, this deep rabbit hole, and uh, and for about ten years, I just researched everything. I learned how to read medical journals and uh, medical research, and how to re- tell the difference between good research and bad research. And um, and I still didn't find the answer. And then uh, I had, I think, a surgery. I think it was in March of one year. And, and how old are up- you now? Um, I'm in my mid to late thirties, and yeah. And so I, and, and I could feel after I woke up from that surgery, I could feel the life draining from my body. And I thought this was the last surgery I'm ever going to have, because I knew I would never, I'd never last through another one. I'd already been dead on the table a couple of times before this. This was a turning point for me to not have any more surgery. So about three months later. Wait, that, wait. so
0: what does it feel like to to have the life draining from you?
1: It is unmistakable. You know that uh, death is not far is what it feels like. Uh, you just have no, um, capacity in your body, uh, to be, to be normal. And it took me a long time to recover from that surgery too. So I knew if I had to have another one, I wouldn't make it off the table. Three months later, tumors are back. Doctors are saying you have to have more surgery. Oh, and you're like, oh no, yeah. I didn't say anything then. I just went, yeah, yeah, because, you know, the tumors always came back. So whatever. And then a few months after that, they said, listen, you have to have the surgery. You don't have any choice. Uh, you've got like three to six months from today, the end. And, and, and you're that,
0: you're and in your it. early 30s at this point.
1: Mid to late 30s. Yeah.
0: Mid to late 30s. Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so um, and then if anybody doesn't think the universe has a sense of humor, Two weeks to the day after I had that prognosis, I got a package in the mail that was recent research at the time from a neuroscientist who identified the path to one of the biggest contributors of disease. I got to page three, and I started to play around with uh, what she was talking about. And within three weeks, I could feel a difference in my body.
0: You started taking whatever advice she was saying. Yeah. Yeah. And in three weeks you felt different.
1: Yeah. And so um, at that time the docs were wanting to schedule surgery. I said I needed, I wanted to have another scan before the surgery um, happened because I could tell there was something different going on in my body. Um, and um and I wanted to verify that before going under the knife, I wasn't gonna go under the knife anyway, but I wanted to verify that what I was feeling was right. Now I'm in my mid to late 30s. I knew there was something wrong when I was 10 years old, and and the bags were under my eyes, um, and I knew there was something wrong all all along. So I knew what my body was, what my body felt like, and what it was doing, and and so I knew there was something different here. But I just wanted I wanted the uh, scientific verification for it. So they argued, but gave me another scan. And for the first time in my entire life, it had shown that the tumors had shrunk just a tiny, tiny bit. So the technicians and the doctor said, that's it within the margin of error of the machine. But for me, that was the first time they hadn't shown massive growth, which was what was usually happening.
0: And for you, you felt different and you weren't imagining feeling different.
1: Oh, no, it was it was noticeable to me. Um, so, you know, this went on for a few months. I kept playing with these concepts from this research. I kept going back to have scans, not surgery. And within 18 months, I was completely uh, tumor free. They, they said, even at that time, well, you've had so many surgeries, you're going to have problems with scar tissue. You've had so many surgeries and you've had so many things removed. Your body isn't really going to function properly and you're going to have problems with that. Um, a bunch of things that I was supposed to have problems with. I have fewer problems than most healthy people have. Um, I, I mean, I have no problems. I've never been had a diagnosis of anything bigger than a cold since then. And so that's been more than 20 years now. And um, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been quite remarkable. Even I couldn't believe it for the first four years. I was I was so accustomed to being in pain all the time that I couldn't believe getting waking up in the morning and I, I would just think, OK, when's it going to hit? For four right. years, every morning I did that and then and then I started to get used to well, maybe I can live without pain for the rest of my life. And so far, so good. That's it, huh? <laughs> that, <laughs> well, that's not it. So then after that, here's here's what happened after that. Um, people started to ask me like, how did you do that? Because people were kind of planning on going to my funeral and I, and I would not be able to kind of, um, articulate the path that I took in a way that made sense to people, because there's a lot of information behind that. Like all the research that I'd done the 10 years previous to my getting better really helped me get better. Um, you know, I studied Buddhism, I studied all sorts of religions and whatnot. Um, And so there's a lot of Buddhist philosophy in there. So people started asking me how how I did it. And I started to try and formulate something that made sense to somebody other than me. And, um, and then I went on to study traditional Chinese medicine. And I found out all of this stuff. Has been known for five thousand years, <laughs> so so nobody reinvented the wheel. But what that neuroscientist did, her name is Dr. Candace Pert. Is she identified the Candace chemical? Sue? path? Candace Pert, P-E-R-T. Okay. Yeah, she she was a neuroscientist. She's passed away now, um, but what all she did was identified the chemical path of what was known for five thousand years, and so the. The real big ticket item for our health and what contributes to disease is how we respond to stimulus. The way in the flavor, the way that we respond to stimulus creates chemicals in the body depending on how we respond to stimulus. The chemical travels to a cell in the body, a particular type of cell on a particular receptor site and deposits information into the cell. That information determines how our cells operate and how they replicate. and that is the cause to, to disease. So way before you get a cancer diagnosis, all of this stuff is happening that you know throws the doors open to cancer and uh, and makes you a, just like a welcome host. And so if, so now how to backtrack on that, you start harnessing your responses to stimulus. And that's how you get back out of, out of pain
0: and so this is that organs and body systems are made of cells which are replaced they we we don't have the same cells in our body we were born with they keep getting replaced correct, correct. and and there's different qualities of cells based on from my background in macrobiotics based on the 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 quality of the nutrition that we use, and also the quality of other things that we consume. And so that sounds like, you know, such as like ideas
1: and, uh, you know, our environment. Uh, ideas, emotions, anything, any stimulus that we respond to, which is everything in the world, uh, it creates the chemical pathway that informs the cells how to operate and replicate. So it's more than what we consume in ter- in terms of what we eat, is is not nearly as huge as how many times we respond to stimulus because that's happening, uh, ten to one hundred thousands of times a day, a day even when we sleep.
0: Right, and so now science is finally getting it straight that stress is a huge component of disease
1: outcomes. But what what is stress? It's the way we respond to stimulus because. Right stress for me is going to be different than stress for you uh or for somebody else for instance like i could probably um i've trained myself to handle a lot of stress or to to be proficient at stress so what's pr- what's stressful for me is going to be different than for you but yes the chemicals made from stress are exactly that whole pathway of how we respond to stimulus
0: mm-hmm. wow okay so let's 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 jump in a little deeper in your story about how how your identity shifted. So I, I, in my book that just got, uh, I got my proof copy like about a few days ago.
1: Congratulations.
0: Um, Thank you. So I have a whole bunch of identity loss stories of my own in here and other people that I've interviewed. And one of them is about my identity loss as a star athlete, because at 21, my body just started like falling apart and I yeah. got chronic pain and severe fatigue and doctors said it's all in your head because they couldn't like it didn't come up on any tests
1: yeah um yeah.
0: and so so that identity loss was like huge for me and so you were 15 or 16 when you couldn't make it past up up. To, you know you knew there was another level that physically you're coordinated enough to do but your body isn't able to do it yeah and and so what was that identity loss like as far as having to sort of the, like let go of who you were like i mean that's what happened to me i had to let go of who i was because i couldn't
1: yeah it, it's kind of like entering a wasteland because you kind of have this idea in your head about who you are and then and then you know you can't be that and so then what you know what what happens next and like i was just a kid at that time i mean i could have like several identity loss stories but um uh so th- so then what so then it's academics i guess so but then i you know i mourned the loss of athleticism because well you would know that too like it just feels it feels so good to challenge your body in that way but my body was overchallenged already which you know i didn't know the details about it at the time but i just knew uh, I couldn't do that. And then there were a bunch of things that were happening in the home that were kind of crisis situations as well. So I just had to make the switch from, you know, this is my life as an athlete to this is my life as not an athlete. Um, uh, but it really was, it really was uh, a mourning um, and, and kind of like a wasteland ahead of me. At that time, I didn't know that the wasteland is an opportunity. <laughs> but, but, uh but yeah, it was really, uh, really sad and lonely. Um, and, um, and I, and I felt like a failure, I would have to say, because here here I am thinking I'm so strong and I can do anything and then I can't. So, yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, into my twenties, finally, I have a diagnosis, which to me was a good deal. Like, um, yes, you have cancer. Yes. I'm saying finally, somebody knows there's something wrong. It wasn't a, it wasn't a bad, uh, it wasn't a bad diagnosis for me because at least I wasn't the crazy person anymore. And I wasn't by myself anymore.
0: Right. Things so, started to make sense.
1: Yeah. At least I had something to, to research or do something about instead of this mysterious thing that kept on happening.
0: Yeah. So um, you got some control.
1: Yeah. Validation
0: yeah. and control. That's about
1: it. Yeah. And in yeah. direction. Right. Boy, did I get direction. Yeah. So, um, so yes, and then and then again, now facing three to six months to live. So I I'd, I'd been practicing Buddhism already for about ten years, and and they teach you how to accept your own death. So I did that. I thought very well, but I think that moment of surrender too, into uh, I'm not going to live anymore. Like I have a my finite day. My final day is coming soon. That that uh, that piece where you can surrender to that opens a lot of other doors. And I don't think, I think if I fought that too much, I don't know that I'd stumble on the information that I needed to get better. So I had already decided I wasn't gonna have any more surgeries. They told me I would not live without any more surgeries. And I chose that path and I surrendered to it and I accepted that I was going to be dead. It was so peaceful actually. Um, And so like, there's no more striving and no more trying and no more fighting. And that's why I don't like that battling cancer Beating cancer, I can almost tell with one hundred percent certainty when I hear people talk about beating cancer and battling cancer, they ain't gonna do it. So um, let me just say one thing.
0: so that's that's one of the things in my book is to actually face reality straight on and and not not resist it. It doesn't mean that you aren't gonna continue to to work towards your your vision, but not like, just like not resist reality. And and I'm not saying reality is that you're going to die in six months, but reality is, is that you're really up shit Creek right now.
1: Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and that and as soon as you stop resisting, you open up a lot of more capacity in you to, to allow the solution to come to you rather than you being the only one working towards a solution. You kind of uh, agree with the universe, if you will. Um, That you're open to the solution, whatever that might be. I didn't know it would be this, like I thought it would be some, kind, you know, the right chemical or the right surgery or the right, whatever it is that would, uh, um, that would be the solution to me. Uh, Yeah. But I agree with you. As soon as you stop resisting, you have way more capacity because you're not, you know, you're not using 99% of your body to deny, you know, your current reality. And which is, yeah, not your future reality, which is the six months piece, but your current reality, which is the Upshit Creek piece. Yeah. Yeah. And and so
0: why don't you describe a little bit um for the audience what practicing Buddhism means? Because first of all, Buddhism isn't a religion. It's a practice. And when you practice, then you may or may not see results. But that's, you know, it's it's sort of. uh. Results based,
1: right? I think if you practice, you can't help but see results. Um, if, if you're if you're practicing well, I mean, meditation is part of it because it puts your mind in a different kind of realm. Like mostly, if we um, if we don't have a, a kind of meditation practice of some kind, our minds are always on the convergence thing. We're always concentrated on something, and and our minds only have that um, concentrated piece, which is not bad because that's how we learn. When we learn something, it's in a convergent. Uh, state when you meditate, it's in a divergent state, which means um, it's not concentrated on anything, not even your breath. Like you just let go of of your breathing and and uh, any other idea that you might have. Just allow the ideas to and thoughts to pass you by. So you become um, your mind becomes more expansive. And so what happens after you meditate for a, a little while or over time, your mind becomes just more supple you can converge, you can diverge, you can converge, you can diverge, and and you have more capacity in your mind. So just with meditation alone, you can you can get a lot of results just from that. Um, You feel a lot smarter, whether you are a lot smarter, just because ideas come to you again, it's that that whole non-resistant piece to um, to your current reality, which is a convergent place. When you learn how to get your mind really supple, you you get ideas that seem to come from nowhere. So you feel like a genius. Um, And and then there are other practices too, like watching your thoughts when you're not meditating, um, watching your behavior when you're not meditating. Do you need to behave that way? Do you need to say that thing? Um, And so there's a lot of quiet. Fasting is another way to kind of access your subconscious mind so that you can get control of the chemical process in your body. Being in silence can also... Give you access to your subconscious mind again, so you can, you know, um, gain some control or, or harness the power, I would say, of your subconscious mind, thereby shifting your chemical production and how your body responds. So, it, you do, you do get results if you if you practice.
0: My son was in second, so I've always been like stressed out and working two jobs, a single mom. Oh, boy. I mean, it was it was it was tough. And so we got so he was like, in grade school. And I stopped watching TV in seventh grade. But I decided, okay, we're going to get a TV and I had was going to get, you know, this $500 from this roommate situation. And and so, of course, you know, he's in grade school, like second or third grade. And he's excited, right? Because he's going to be able to be like other kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so the day that we were going to go shopping to buy this flat screen TV, little tiny thing, he, this little kid, and I had started meditating, I don't know how many months earlier he asked me, he, so he knew it was the day and he asked me, mom, are you going to meditate first? And I was like, Oh my God, my young kid can tell that meditation makes that much difference that he can wait longer for me to meditate, to go get this highly desired item that, I mean, it just blew me away because we, you know, it's hard for, for us to see, you know, we can tell we're changing, but it's easier. I think sometimes it's easier for other people to see that you've changed.
1: Yeah. My family thinks I'm unrecognizable. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree.
0: <laughs> you've just convinced me to start <laughs> meditating again.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, um, uh, It is super helpful for me because I like that experience of I don't want to be totally converged all throughout my entire day. So when I meditate and I get that divergent experience and my body is open and my mind is open and it's so peaceful, I want to then I challenge myself to how long can I hang hang on to that feeling throughout the day? Can I walk around with that feeling for longer and longer throughout the day that I just um, yeah, I'm addicted to that kind of practice.
0: (laughs) So and so, one of the things in Buddhism also is non-judgment. And yeah. so, I want you to go into explaining convergence and divergence a little bit more. But basically, when we're converged in convergence, we're focusing clearly on something, and a lot of the time it's judging. And and so when we're when we're more in the divergence state, we're more able to see. To see things at in reality, you know, as reality without having to layer on the judgment over it.
1: Yeah, I think um, judgment in itself is not necessarily convergent, but I don't think you can be divergent and judgmental at the same time. So, because it gives you that detachment. So you're just the watcher of all things without the meaning that we might, in a convergent state, be in. Um, and so I think I gave up most of my judgment piece along the way, um, thankfully, because I was afflicted. Um, but I still have my moments, I would say. Um, but I think that's a separate piece from just a convergent because right now convergence to me means mostly learning and how much can I soak up just learning because I love that part. Uh, but it's still convergent and, and only a one-dimensional state for the mind. So, you know, I still like to have both um so convergence doesn't necessarily mean judgment but you can't i don't think you can be judgment judgmental without it
0: without convergence
1: yeah yeah without the convergent one-dimensional mind yeah
0: what is one-dimensional mind
1: well that that's just you don't have the suppleness of being both You, you don't have the practice of being both so you can't let it go so that's where judgment come comes in um you know if what's a popular thing, uh, like if you're judging Donald Trump, for instance, uh, and his wh- whatever it is that people don't like about him. I don't know. I'm I'm not American. Um, and so so that's a lot of judgment. But you can let go of that. Be, I mean, because that's damaging to your body, too, because if you're producing those chemicals that cause you to judge, judgment is um, is not a positive thing, even if you think, um, gosh, I love those flowers, then you're attached to this love of the flowers. And so if they're not there anymore, then do you have a loss? That, that's, that's the kind of thing that you get to examine when you're studying Buddhism. If I, if I love a thing, am I attached to it? And so that if it's not there, do I feel a loss because it's not there? If I'm judging Donald Trump because of whatever it is people don't like about him, I can't remember what it is, um, then I'm attached to this dislike of him and so and so if he's if he is there then then all of a sudden it triggers something in my body that i'm not in control of so therefore donald trump has control over me or the flowers have control over me and and then they control my chemical production which causes the cells to operate and replicate in a certain way
0: so you're you're reminding me of that book about water and how when you look at water and you are thinking loving thoughts, yeah. Then they look with the microscope at the crystals, and they're these beautiful things. And when you're looking at the water with hatred or some really negative thought, they come out. When they've you know take microscopic pictures, the yeah. water um, molecules or whatever they are that they're taking the picture of is is very. It's not beautiful actually at all.
1: It's yeah, Dr. Emoto. Um, I can't remember what his last name is. But yeah, I've I've seen those studies and, and more have been done, too. There's just lots of studies that prove that um, our, our words and our images of things make a difference. And in fact, that's one of the rules of the mind, your mind will um, respond to the words and the pictures you give it. The problem, though, is most of our mind is the subconscious mind. And yeah. so we don't know what words and pictures we're giving it. So that's why Buddhism is so useful because you can gain more access to the subconscious mind. And when I went on to study traditional Chinese medicine, qigong is one of the branches of traditional Chinese medicine, and it really works on uh, how the mind works and, and the results that you get in your body from the use of your mind. So, So then at the end, when, when you get really good at using all of these pieces of ourselves that we should be taught in school, by the way, not, uh, not like in your thirties or forties or on your deathbed. Um, When you really harness all of this power, that's already in your body. uh, Instead of being the one that's uh, responding to stimulus, you become the stimulus that the world responds to. And so then you can just kind of touch an idea um, like, You know, I want to help that person and then you have the opportunity to do so or touch another idea like, um, you know, peace and happiness for this person and and you get a result from that instead of being pummeled by, you know, the millions of pieces of stimulus that are out in the world. You become the stimulus, you stop responding to that, then you design your responses to the world, Uh, then you become the stimulus the world responds to.
0: Wow. So, um, before you tell us more about what you do and who you help with this, these kind of things, let's, let's get your, a a nutshell, um, snapshot picture of your identity. Like when, before, like when you were 10 and you were, you didn't quite know that you were going into these decades of really tough stuff. And then at, the, at your sort of lowest point, your identity then, and your identity now, who you've become.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> that's, a, that's a metamorphosis, and probably many of them throughout the years. So when, oh, I right. was, yeah. Yeah, so when I was 10, I was extremely shy, like really, really shy. I'm still really shy, actually. Um, but now my work is more important than my shyness. But really, my life was run by being shy. And, um, and I was really tiny and, you know, everything about me was small, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and then, um, as I, as I went through all of these experiences that were extremely, uh, difficult, um, I, I felt even smaller. I felt more out of control. I felt like I didn't, uh, I didn't have a say in my life really. And I couldn't conduct my life. My life was being conducted by outside forces 100%. And I felt like, I'm not going to say that I felt like a victim to all of these forces in my life, but I sure didn't feel like I had any command over them. And I didn't think I was worth it either. I didn't think I was worth the command of my own life. I didn't know how to do it. Uh, I didn't think I was worth it. I thought it was impossible. Um, Now I love things that are impossible people think are impossible um and so and so all through these years until i think that moment of surrender when i I was okay with dying and, and then i discovered this new material and how to use it totally different ball game and i think from that moment forward it's been a building of uh, a different human being. Like I have more command over my thoughts. I have more command over my emotional state. I have more command over the, how I respond to stimulus um, and, you know, my capacity for stress, my capacity for difficult situations, my capacity for difficult uh, conversations, uh, my capacity for love and compassion and empathy as well. And my capacity for impact has just grown year after year, after year, after year.
0: That's beautiful. I I was reminded of sort of the moment of impact for me where I was at my worst with physical pain. And this friend who for 10 years, almost 10 years had been trying to get me to try macrobiotics and have this story in my book too. And, and so then I tried it and he said, just let me cook for you for 10 days. And then you can make an informed decision because all the other times I was making an uninformed decision. Cause I never tried it. Yeah. I was like, no, no, thanks. But so that was uninformed. Cause I never tried it. So then yeah. I was like, I was so desperate. So I tried it and I felt so different. And my supervisor on my internship called me into her office, like literally two weeks in And said, Julie, what's your secret? And I'm I'm like, what are you talking about? She says, you know, what are you doing? Something's different. And I'm like, yeah, I changed my diet and my anxiety just evaporated. And I have so much energy and I can focus on my work because before it was like so hard to focus. And I finally felt like I had been given the keys to my destiny, but with through these um, macrobiotic principles because the doctors had, you know, you know, I gave up on the doctors because they had given me nothing of anything. Right. And in fact, damaging, telling me it's right. all in my head. Right. And here, like, I I just like changed, went through this dramatic change, especially the first year. And it's just, yeah, it's it's such a, it's going from scared and disempowered to having agency and hope
1: totally
0: it's a a whole new life
1: yeah
0: and 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 then like maybe about a year into it or so I was still very negative person and I would like always like be complaining because there was all you know there's always lots to complain about in life and and when you know when you're living in a body that is in pain and isn't you're not able to do especially the thing you love the most and that gave you the most self-esteem for me which was athletics you know it's it's It's, you know, life isn't that much fun when every single day you're exhausted and in pain.
1: Totally. And the world really shrinks when you're in pain. Like it's your, that's, that's your main focus for your day is, is pain.
0: It's hard to ignore it. Mm -hmm. But what I, so then one day he told me, um, you know, you're so negative. And that was another moment. I have a different story about that moment where I realized that I had choice over my thoughts, that I didn't have to go down the rabbit hole of negativity and, and I could focus on It's like you can't control the thoughts that come into your mind, but you can control what you do with them. And so basically, you can either see the glass as half empty or half full. And I used to always think it was half empty because there's all of these things wrong. And now I have the capacity to see it as half full. And it's all about your mind control and making a choice over which thoughts you're going to, you know, how you engage with your thoughts.
1: Yeah, you can control the thoughts that come into your mind, by the way. Yeah. You can get really good at it. that you can feel what's coming before it forms into a thought and stop it. So that, and that's what I learned from Buddhism and Qigong as well. Um, and the other thing too, is I was on a macrobiotic diet for eight years. I always had a great diet, uh, but I thought, well, maybe it's just not good enough. So I went on a macrobiotic for, diet for eight years. Uh, I, I It's it's strict. Um, and after eight years, my body was still falling apart. Like it was worse than it was at the beginning. Maybe I would have died sooner if I hadn't been on it. But um, but yeah, for me, what I put in my mind or what I allowed in my mind was way more important than what I put in my tummy. So right. um, so yeah, but I also still maintain a, a well above average diet because it just feels good.
0: Yeah, and, and there's a trillion ways of eating macrobiotics or practicing macrobiotics and and for sure that it's way more than the physical nutrition that we put in our body It it is about like you know what else we're exposed to in our environment and things like that and and that that, that create then the thoughts that we're thinking and and those you know yeah, and think- and and, and, our, and our past, you know, our, our trauma history and all of that stuff is like, there's just there's just a lot of of different things, and definitely eating better can help in many ways, and it's but it's not the end all.
1: No, no, it's it's really one of the smallest pieces, but really what happens uh, with that repetitive thinking. First of all, it's not your fault that you were negative. Most of seventy percent of your mind is negative anyway, because of the way it's wired. We're wi- wired to be protective instead of open, and well, we're more wired to notice the
0: negative to protect ourselves.
1: For sure, yeah, yeah. and so once you notice that though then you can start to rewire it because if it was wired once it can be rewired and most of that wiring that we um, notice as unuseful as adults was put in um, you know sub seven years old so it's it it seems like it's a real deal but it's pretty weak really when you start to pick it apart so
0: and how just a crash course on how do you pick it apart how do you see these thoughts coming in and then um, I forget the saying, but sort of ward them off at the
1: past or whatever. That's the wrong way Okay, to say so it. you can start, every, I start everybody on this exercise. Uh, if you notice a negative thought, see if you can stop it. So you can just be doing dishes and if you notice something negative, see if you can stop it and keep doing that over and over again. So you might have to be going like, stop, 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 for, you know, at the beginning until you kind of get the use of your power. The power of your own mind and the power of your decision and declaration that that's not going to happen again. Uh, and it's it's kind of like teaching a dog how to sit. Uh, it's not going to do it the first time or maybe the first 12 times or maybe the first 100 times, but it will do it if you keep at it. So it's the consistency piece. And so you might wander around for a couple of days and think this, this isn't working. But then the more you do it, the more capacity you find that you have with this negative thinking piece. So then what happens? So you get good at stopping the thought. Um, so say, you know, oh, my mother did this to me, stop that, stop that. It doesn't matter what she did, you know, 400 years ago, uh, stop this, so you're, stop that. You're saying stop, but you're not saying replace it with something else. You do not replace it with something. That's a myth, uh, because you don't want to replace a subconscious repetitive thought with a conscious notion. It's not going to penetrate the subconscious mind, but what will happen is if you stop the pattern of thinking and don't replace it. Is your true nature has room to bubble forth and your true nature is joy and joy produces the chemicals of healing so don't replace it with anything it's just a stop and and repetitive you you, so you might have to work at it depending on what kind of mind you have there's a whole science behind that as well Um, and then what happens when you get kind of good you don't even have to be super good at it but if you get kind of good and if you're meditating at the same time it helps by the way If you get kind of good at it and you're able to stop thoughts and you can feel that you've got some capacity there with stopping some thoughts then you can kind of feel the notion happening before it actually develops into a thought and then you can say no there like so your
0: your intuition is freed up to tell you yeah for you i mean your intuition is always there but you're freed up to notice your intuition telling you this is about this is on its way Your body
1: will tell you the feeling, or if you, when you start to stop the thinking, uh, your body starts to tell you the feeling that precedes the thinking. And then if you can, if you can notice that feeling, then you notice the thought before it forms into something and you can go, oh, we're not going there anymore. Nope, 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 nope. So, so you do have the capacity about what's going on in your mind, even in your waking, in your waking hours.
0: Well, I would think, especially in your waking hours.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, in your waking hours outside of meditation is what I meant.
0: Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, because like the mind, you can think about eating a lemon, and you can start to feel what it's going to do to your exactly. mouth.
1: Exactly. Uh, I can give you a little trick to do. So find the find the line at the bottom of your palm or the top of your wrist, the major line.
0: Yeah.
1: So and then match it to the other one on the on the other hand. Okay. And then hold your hands up. What may you do mine? And then hold your hands like this, in prayer position. And do you do you one set of fingers look shorter than the other, even by a tiny bit? Mm, no. Well, yes,
0: on my forefinger, yes.
1: Okay. And which hand has the shorter finger? Left. Okay, so now I want you to. Put your left hand up in the air I'm going to put my right hand because my right hand fingers are shorter and close your eyes okay and now I want you to feel and see your fingers growing and growing and growing you On can the left feel hand them. yeah you can feel them growing way up into the ceiling you can feel them touching the ceiling and tickling the ceiling yeah they just keep growing and growing and growing they're going right through the ceiling of your building there right through the roof of your building. and You can feel them touching the outside air and they just keep growing and growing and growing and growing. They're growing way out into the sky. You can feel them touching the clouds. You can feel the moisture of the clouds on your fingers and they just keep growing and growing and growing. You can feel them piercing the atmosphere and you can feel the difference in temperature as they pierce the atmosphere and head out into the blackness of the sky beyond. And you can feel them growing and growing and growing way beyond the stars, way out into the universe. They just keep growing and growing and growing. Now I want you to take a deep breath. And as you exhale, I want you to lower your hand and open your eyes. And now I want you to find match up those two lines again. And tell me which fingers are longer.
0: Well, the left one is still
1: shorter. It's still (laughs) shorter. Most people have it. Like mine, I didn't even do the exercise and my right fingers are usually shorter, but now they appear longer. And of course, yeah, it's just the, so now just shake out your hands. Yeah. So most people who do that, you've just probably got a, a more of an analytical mind behind your i'm a very highly
0: detail-oriented person and the poor layout person for my book i was like you know you got to leave some space between this word or there's too much space between this word i
1: i i see things down to like a sixteenth of an inch which is which is good inch. so really what happens is if somebody has you know there's the creative mind and the more analytical mind and then there's um a piece in between both of those pieces like to get to the subconscious mind from the conscious mind us analytical people might take a little bit longer but our experiences can be more profound creative people kind of have the facility to get there quicker but their experience can be uh, delayed a little bit so you and i you and i would probably be more impacted um, by the work that i do Um, than a creative person but I mean they get there and I know quicker ways for them to get there but they live in that in that realm of back and forth uh, so well that they don't have the biggest impact uh, as you and I might because they're
0: already sort of they're they're swimming in the water and so they don't see it because it's already sort of there yeah but Um, but the use of it
1: uh, doesn't come to them as well as it would for you and me interesting
0: yeah Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. And why don't you um, give us more information about what you do, who you help, and where people can find you online?
1: Uh, You can find me online on my website, patricialoff.com.
0: L-O-F-F.
1: L-O-F-F, yep. And who do I help? I help anybody who's not well. Um, mostly I work with cancer uh, people diagnosed with cancer because that seems to be such a big mystery I'd love for it to be just um, you know normal every day to go stage four to stage none uh, but uh, we're not quite there yet uh, in fact I'm having a free masterclass on just that uh, I think next week sometime uh, and so if anybody wants in on the masterclass, you can just email me at info at patricialoft.com, and I can send you the registration, which should be up any minute. What's now. the name of
0: the masterclass? What, what what date is it, is it going to be? See if I can get this. H-
1: hang on one second. Uh, I, August, August 31st, I believe. Okay. From uh, two o'clock to, it's going to be a four-hour masterclass from two o'clock until six, 6 p.m. my time. So that's mountain time. Okay, well, all those details we can get. I'm just seeing sure. if I can,
0: if this is going to be after, maybe I'll publish this episode next Wednesday and that'll be before the 31st, but I don't have a calendar, so. Yeah, no
1: worries. Um, uh, Yeah, but if anybody wants in, there'll be another one the week after that. So don't don't worry if, you, okay. <laughs> if it gets missed. Um, yeah, so if anybody wants the registration link, they can just email me at info at com.
0: And what are they going to, What's what are they going to learn? What what's the purpose of the class?
1: They're going to learn the missing information that they do need, and they're going to learn why conventional medicine doesn't work. They're going to learn a little bit about qigong and and get to experience uh, like their own healing state, for instance, and how to develop their own healing state. And um, yeah, and then the twelve there's twelve major areas of life that are most that most impact our health, and so that if you apply these little principles that uh, we learned um, throughout the masterclass to these 12 areas. Yeah, it, it's just, um, yeah, it's it's a miracle after that is really what it is. So I guess I wanted to ask
0: this earlier that, like, do you have backlash from the medical establishment saying, I, I mean, it's just like, there's, there's this entire, like, hierarchy of massive thinking (laughs) and money and profits and I mean, modern medicine is got its tentacles everywhere. And you're saying that, like for me, then in my, my background with macrobiotics is I highly respect emergency medicine. Totally. And the rest of medicine is kind of missing the boat as far as chronic uh, it, or, you know, it's a, failure.
1: it's a failure. They're not missing the boat. It's a failure. And, okay. Yeah. And, and I think it's a planned failure. Uh, otherwise they'd be doing a better job. So.
0: Um, and it's planned because they make money off of us not getting better. Right.
1: They have patience for life, which is what they're after. Yeah. Yeah. So do I get backlash? I have I have doctors who refer their patients to me. I don't get a lot of backlash because I'm not I'm not uh, diagnosing anything and I'm not treating anything. So, yeah. um, so no, I don't I don't get a lot of backlash in that area. A- and I'm not that famous, so <laughs> so you you're know, not we'll, on their radar. Yeah, I'm not I'm not on a lot of their radars for sure. But I also speak at medical conventions, so you know. <laughs> I think if you I think if you kind of tailor what you're going to say to to the proper people, mm-hmm. um, so really what I do is I talk about my experience. so they, they really can't
0: they can't refute that,
1: right. Yeah. So And then the rest of it, you know, if if they want to, you know, know more, I, I bring them in. but um, but yeah, I don't start with you guys are a failure.
0: So, in order to get invited to those medical places to speak, you have to like present a certain angle. so, what do you what do you present
1: to them? I start off with my story. What happened to me and and how and how I learned how to do something better for me. and And I also present it like, um, wouldn't you just love if your patients were participating in their own protocol? Uh, And and do you think that your patients would get better results if they were participating on their own as well as having the protocol? So I I do stuff like that. Most of them go. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because patient compliance is is really bad, really low, like people, they don't even take the medicine. I mean, like large percentages of people don't even take the medicine as directed by their physicians.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't either, actually. But um, yeah, that's another story. But
0: really, yeah, but it's just it it, it just proves that they're going that the the doctors think that they're doing something for their patients, but it's not, you know,
1: right. And then I also think that that you can't throw away your medicine until you build your capacity to do something better. And so I think it's irresponsible to just say, you know, I'm not taking this when you don't have something better to replace it. And everybody has something better. They're just not taught uh, w- uh, how to use it. And uh, I think that's that's a massive failure as well. Right.
0: So you told us what you do. And are, are, so do you coach people like one-on-one also?
1: Yes. So I have kind of three levels of, of service. I'm just kind of switching things around a little bit uh, right now. But in I think it's about three or four weeks, I'm having a boot camp, which is a three day intensive um, uh, program that involves, you know, the whole package being thrown at you within three days, three months of support after that, and then a year of of a little bit less, like a community support piece after that. And so that's been really uh, successful this year. We've seen people get uh, results in as little as one week. So that's the fastest I've ever had results. Um, and, and I'm just going to change it up a little bit because I'm, I'm just adding more experiences so that people can really, uh, know for themselves that they can generate this thing that heals their body and take it home with them. So, um, and then I'm going to be doing live events as well after that, but I do one-on-one coaching. Um, it's getting expensive because I just don't have the time to (laughs) fill the demand. Um, and so, yeah, those are kind of the three levels right now nice yeah and so what are a couple of takeaways before we wrap it up That that one for sure about learning how to stop negative thinking not replacing it and then and then really gets getting so good that you can't um that you can notice the feeling preceding the thought so you now you're stopping the feeling before it even forms into a thought so that's one the other one i would say is um, decide where you want to be on the other side, like make a decision where your feet and your body want to land. Don't worry about the path in between, but decide, make that decision. Because as soon as you make the decision, like I want freedom from cancer, I want a massively bombshell, uh, healed body that works so freaking efficiently that I can't even believe it myself land. Figure out where you want to land because as soon as you do that, your brain starts to work on how to get you there. It's not good enough to say, I don't want cancer. Well, who the hell doesn't want cancer? Right. Yeah, that's focusing
0: on what you don't not want, not what you do want.
1: Right. And part of the success of uh transformation of all kinds really is deciding exactly what you do want and even when you want it. Like I want, I think I can get my body cancer free in three months or six months or 18 months or whatever it is that that you want. But decide that, see yourself there, feel yourself there and hang on to that vision and that feeling.
0: So what does somebody like me do that you've been in pain for 40 years?
1: And it's hard to believe what you're saying. I I've, I've been there. Yes. Um that's part of the that's part of the decision making. You don't have to know how to get there. Right. But you have to decide where you want to be. Like you don't want to be just have no pain. What is it that you want from your body? Exactly. Your body, your mind, your, uh, your, you know, relationship with yourself. Who do you want to be on, on the other side? And if you have to write it down and look at it every day and feel how you're going to feel when you're there, if you can do that, plus get rid of all the negative stuff, you should start seeing results. Fascinating. Super good. Well, thank you, Patricia. You're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me to join you.
0: It's my pleasure. This has been really great. Super. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.